We welcome each of, each of you to this hour of worship, and we especially welcome our uh, visitors, our guests among us. We're glad to have you worshiping with us and invite you to come back to be with us again as often as you can. Several announcements that are not in your bulletin to bring to your attention, and, and I think, Eric, you've got something, don't you, in a minute. Come on up. And, um, Ann Dobson had a fall and a broken hip, but is doing quite well, except she's, she's hungry all the time, uh, so she must be doing well. And then uh, Logan Howell had some surgery during the week. Come ahead and give us your word. On behalf of the Methodist men, I would like to thank everyone who donated, attended, or participated in any way during our yard sale and barbecue Saturday, April 2nd. Um, a special thanks to Keith Clark for his leadership in planning and cooking the barbecue. Um, we were able to raise over $1,500 to benefit the church budget, and we made a $100 donation to UMCOR. And we just want to thank everybody for your support in this event and look forward to doing something similar in the fall. Thank you. Not only is Ann Dobson having some health issues, uh, her, um, her son Heath has some open heart bypass surgery ahead of him in this coming week. So remember these folks in your prayers. Um, we also have received word that Dean Price's brother passed away during the night last night. Um, I believe we decided his name is Ken Henderson. Is that what we, we said? And so our thoughts and prayers are with them and the family. Uh, Mark James is telling me, reminding me that next Saturday is a soup for you bicycle ride throughout Greer um, to raise funds for the soup kitchen. And if you need more information about that, uh, see Mark. It begins, what, 8.30, you say? 8.30, family ride, Leave from the Family Life Center at 8.30 next Saturday morning. I believe that's it. Let us begin our time together in worship.
Our affirmation of faith is the Apostles' Creed, uh, found on page 881 of your hymnal. Let us affirm our faith using this historic confession. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to church to take the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Be seated, please. This time I'd like to invite the children to come forward to join someone for a few moments of sharing. Maybe me. I saw Donald Spearman standing up. I thought he was going to come forward to do it. Don, then he sat back down. <laughs> um, let me see if I can remember what uh, was shared this morning at the early service with the children. I thought that was a, a good thing. Um, today's gospel story is, is an interesting long story. We're not going to read all of it even in a few minutes, but... It's a story about Lazarus dying and Jesus coming and raising him back to life. But there's the shortest verse in the Bible in the middle of that story. And you know what that shortest verse is? Jesus cried. Jesus wept. Uh, when, some, when you say wept, usually that's a, that's a, that's a pretty serious cry. Um, any of you all ever cry? I think we all, yes. Would you believe grown-ups cry? Yeah, that's sometimes that we grown-ups cry. We, uh, sometimes we, we cry when we're touched by some, something that warms our heart and tears come out of our eyes. And it's a happy kind of a cry. But sometimes we cry when we're very sad. I, I've been very sad a few times in my life. When people I loved died and tears just came down my face. But Jesus cried a time or two. One of the times that Jesus cried was when his friend Lazarus died. And um, he had come to be with the people that were crying over Lazarus' death. And he'd also come to do something about it. And um, I don't believe people really understood who he was. And it, and it may have been that that caused him to cry. But... But Jesus wept a tear because his friends were crying over Lazarus' death. There's another time that we read about Jesus coming into Jerusalem and seeing that beautiful city and realizing that um, the people there were not going to change. They were not going to accept him as their Lord. 
And it says that Jesus cried and said, Oh, you poor city. If you only knew what it would take for you to have peace in your hearts. I've wanted to gather you close to me, but you would not come. So Jesus cried. Maybe that's something to think about sometime when you are teared up and a little tear comes down your face, is that there were some things that made Jesus cry. And whenever you cry because you're very, very sad or very, very lonely or something you don't understand, it might be good to remember that Jesus puts his arm around you and he'll shed a tear with you also. He'll not only comfort you, he will cry with you. And sometimes it's good to have somebody to cry with us. That's why when you're in a nursery and one baby cries, they'll all start crying. It's a, it's a crazy thing. Let's have a closing prayer. We thank you, God, that you understand when we cry. And you cry with us. And you love us. Amen. Thank you. There's a lady out here that looks like you. Do you know her? Okay. Good to have Ann's sister with us, Jane, today. Uh, Old Testament lesson is from Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was, was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. 
They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is Psalm 130 on page 848. I invite you to stand as we share this passage together responsively. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be worshipped. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and the Lord's word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than those who watch for the morning. More than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with the Lord is plenteous redemption. New Testament uh, epistle lesson is from Romans chapter 8, verses 6 through 11. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled... Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, and yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you.
Here ends the lesson.
Please join me in the prayer of confession, which is printed there in your bulletin. Let us pray. O God, by the example of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, you taught us the greatness of true humility and call us to watch with him in his passion. Give us grace to serve one another in all lowliness and to enter into fellowship of his suffering. In his name and for his sake, amen. Lord, we are thankful that you come to us in the valley of our dry bones, in times in our life when we're just exhausted and spiritually spent, and you come to us as the story in Ezekiel and you raise us back up. We're thankful that you are the resurrection and the life, O Lord and that you come to us in this existence to raise us up from the deadness of sin, from the mistakes that we have made that have caused nothing but troubles for us, and yet by your resurrection power, you bring us to life in such a way that our weaknesses in the past become strengths for the future. And those scars in our lives are there to always remind us that we have been resurrected to new life. We're thankful that the spirit that raised Jesus up from death lives in us. For you gave your spirit to us when we came to you in faith. And you gave us that spirit which is the spirit of adoption and sons and daughters spirit where we cry to you, Father. And we're thankful with your spirit living in us that we are conquerors and overcomers in this life. And we're thankful for the good story too from the gospel about Lazarus that brings us face to face with the one who has power over death itself. And we see the Son of God there calling the dead to return to life. And we know, Lord, that Jesus stands at the doorway of our own mortal, mortal deaths to call to us to come forth to new life to come forth to resurrection glory in heaven. And we are thankful for this good news, that Jesus is the re resurrection and the life. So Lord, we go through life now with Jesus to guide us and to strengthen us, to raise us when we fall, and to ultimately raise us up from death. And for this we are grateful. Lord, as we come together, grateful for the help that you've given us, we're mindful of the fact that there are others who were not able to be here today because of various illnesses and frailty of their bodies. 
And we pray for these, our brothers and sisters in the faith, that you would be with them this day and strengthen their bodies and call them forth to new life and new strength. These things we pray in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us worship God by giving.
I just noticed about two-thirds of the way back on this side is a bunch of refugees from one of my previous congregations. Uh, folks from Francis Asbury are here. And I had somebody at first service today from Francis Asbury. So it's good to see you folks visiting with us today. Our gospel lesson is the story of Lazarus. And it is in John's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. Uh, I'm not going to read all that today. You know that story. I'm going to read verses 17 through 27. Jesus comes to the graveside of his friend Lazarus, and it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Here ends the lesson. I grew up in the 50s watching entirely too many TV westerns. There was Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, Roy Rogers, and the Cisco Kid. But if Steve McQueen ever went looking for you and wanted dead or alive, you were a bad dude. You were a real menace to society. It is interesting to me that after the resurrection, the raising of Lazarus, the high priest issued a wanted dead or alive order on Jesus. We're told down in verse 53 of that chapter that from that day on, they plotted to take Jesus's life. According to the writer of the fourth gospel, John, this, the greatest miracle of Jesus, is what led to the crucifixion. It was the straw that broke the camel's back. Not only did it lead to a cross for Jesus, but the effects of the miracle were not permanent for Lazarus. Lazarus eventually died again. There is a tradition that Lazarus and others fled from Palestine soon after the crucifixion, eventually settling in way off France. The tradition also states that Lazarus was ultimately beheaded, martyred for his faith, and buried there in France. And during World War II, my father was taken to visit a cave that was supposed to be the final resting place of Lazarus, the tomb of Lazarus. 
Why then, if it led to so much trouble for himself and it wasn't a permanent fix for Lazarus, did Jesus perform this miracle? The answer lies with the mystery of death that has always left humans. From the earliest days of humanity until present day, with fear, doubt, and questions. A teenager said to me after she had been there to be present with a classmate in, in uh, Boiling Springs as the boy was dying with cancer. She said, I don't understand death. How can a person be right there with you one moment and be gone the next, dead? Anthropologists tell us that it is death that gave life to religion in the first place. Religion was given life as a result of death so that humans might be able to wrestle with the question of death and settle some of those questions. The certainty of our own mortality causes us to wonder, is life here on earth all that there is or is there more? Jesus decided to take on that question using Lazarus as an object lesson. Jesus performed this miracle to offer us hope in the face of death, saying to us that the resurrection is more than just a place or a time in the future. It is a person. It is Jesus himself. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is life in this life, and he is life in eternity. To follow him on earth is to be assured of abundant life now and eternal life later on in heaven. <coughs> By raising Lazarus, Jesus was saying, I have authority over life and death. And here is the evidence of that fact. Trust in me. And one day I will speak this same word to you that I am speaking to Lazarus, and you too will live. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Let's closely examine that great text and allow it to challenge and comfort us. The first part of it, I am the resurrection and the life. <clears throat> here, Jesus was claiming to be the source of all life, life here on earth and life in eternity. Here on earth, Christ has been given the resurrection and the life. For millions of spiritually dead people, he is the resurrection. He has come to many of us whose lives were lacking, and he has breathed new life into us giving us new purpose. We all need a little resurrecting sometimes, especially us preachers and our poor spouses. One day the preacher's wife called the chair of the staff parish relations committee to say, I'm very worried about my husband. I think he's gone crazy. He's out in the living room fishing. The Staff Parish Relations Committee chairperson says, I doubt it's anything to worry about, Ms. Jones. He probably just is anxious to try out that new rod and reel he bought. 
The preacher's wife responded, well, you may be right, but he's never going to catch anything out there. He's using the wrong bait. Oh, the rough life of a preacher's wife. I remember hearing Tony's story some years ago. Tony was raised in another denomination, and he was studying for ministry in one of their seminaries. But during seminary, he and his wife began having difficulties that ended in divorce. Following this, he suffered a total nervous breakdown and had to drop out of school. Soon after this, he learned that the church had withdrawn their endorsement of him as a prospective pastor, and he was declared unfit for ministry. So he changed careers. In time, he met a lovely lady and was remarried. He started attending his wife's United Methodist Church, where he experienced God's resurrecting power and grace anew. Almost immediately, the church recognized that this young man had gifts for ministry, and they encouraged him to give it another try. And so he became a candidate for the ordained ministry. And this time, he finished seminary and was ordained in our church, where he has served faithfully for many, many years. He was always thanking the United Methodist Church for giving him another chance. But it was Jesus through us who brought resurrection life to him. Jesus is the resurrection and the life in this existence on earth. Then Jesus said, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. It seems to me that this part of the verse speaks to the fears that come to us when someone else, someone we know, dies. It speaks to those of us who believe, who are left here on earth to wonder about those who've gone on. And it speaks about those who died and who will live again. We have so many questions as we uh, stare at those coffins if my friend is alive, what is he or she experiencing? Will we recognize one another in heaven one day? I had a very wonderful, if not a little bit mystical experience many years ago when my best friend from college suffered an aneurysm in his brain. On our Walford intramural softball team, Jimmy was the first baseman and I played second. Oh, there was a day, there was a day when I could play, play ball uh, as good as some of you men out there now. Uh, I keep hearing about the teams. Uh, but anyway, um, we were undefeated that season, all the way through the season until the very last game. And we'd lost that one. But being Jimmy's friend meant that you would often be the target of balloons, water balloons. You'd think that you were nice and warm and dry until something hit you and soaked you. And you had to take precautions whenever you went back into your room because there might be a bucket of water perched precariously on your door as you went in. He was a real practical joker. Now, just 10 years after we had finished college, Jimmy was on a respirator at the hospital. And they told us there was no brain activity and it was a hopeless situation. In effect, he was already dead even though his body was being kept alive. That night, I prayed very hard, literally begging God for his life. 
I probably have never prayed as long or as hard ever before or since that time. I prayed until a peace came over me, a peace that brought an awareness to me that my friend was not going to get well. And so I stopped praying. And as I did, I began to let my mind wander a bit about what Jimmy might be experiencing. And in my mind's eye, I saw that he and I were separated by a very narrow stream of water. And from the other side, I heard him say to me in his Orangeburg accent, Author, because that's what he called me, Author, leave it alone. I made it in. I might not be lucky next time. Those who believe in me will live even though they die. We have that great hope in the time of the death of a dear friend like Jimmy. Then Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Now he's talking about you and me who are alive now. And Jesus says that we who are alive now will never experience death. To this you say, preacher, you're crazy. We do die. Well, we do pass through something like death's door as we exit this earthly life. But do we in fact die? Jesus is suggesting that we really don't. That the real you who lives inside of this earthen vessel does not really experience a break in existence. Even though the vessel breaks, the contents are not lost. Jesus is suggesting that what you and I look at and call death is really nothing more than an earthly illusion. The heavenly truth is that we who live believing in him will never die. It may be nothing more than a matter of perspective where you're looking at things. I guess you heard about the new preacher that was appointed to a church. And when he got to town, everybody was warning him about old man Green, the meanest man in town and a member of that church. Old man Green always made it his goal to make whoever the pastor was miserable, so miserable that the pastor would ask the bishop to move right away. So this new pastor was anxious to meet old man Green. Sunday morning came, and just before the call to worship, a huge man came down the aisle. He had a scowl on his face that spoke volumes about his unhappiness. When he got to the front pew, his pew, there were already several people sitting there. And so the man just stood there staring at them until they grew uncomfortable and got up and moved to a new place. And then with a loud moan and a groan, the man sat down. The preacher could hardly contain himself or his fear. And so he turned to the acolyte who was sitting very close to him and said, Son, is that old man green? And the acolyte replied, No, I think that's just the way the light's shining on him coming in through the stained glass window. <laughs> I know, that's pretty, pretty poor. But it may be nothing more than a matter of the way the light's shining on us, a matter of perspective. Others, from their earthly perspective here on earth, will see only death as they view our earthly vessel. But from our perspective, 
we will experience no break in our existence, no interruption in our consciousness, only a change, a resurrection, a relocation to a higher plane of existence. To be absent from this body is to be present from the Lord, Paul said. And Jesus said, we will never die. And then Jesus showed that he had the power to back up those words as he raised Lazarus back to life. One of the most inspiring testimonies that I have ever read was that of a psychiatrist named Dr. George Ritchie from the great state of Virginia in a book written about his life called Return From Tomorrow. Back in World War II, when Dr. Ritchie was a very young man in basic training out in the Midwest, he came down with severe pneumonia and he died. But he said he didn't realize that he had died. He suddenly woke up feeling terrific. And he sat up in the bed and stood up and looked back at his bed and there was somebody in the bed and he said, boy, they fill up beds in this hospital quick. And he thought about where he needed to go next. He traveled some distance until he got lost, found himself in the middle of a town he'd never been to before. And so he went into an all night diner to get some directions. He became very frustrated when nobody would wait on him. It was like nobody could see him and noticed he was there. It was that moment that he thought that something must be wrong. Apparently, he could not be seen. He didn't know what was wrong, but instinctively, he felt he had to get back to that army hospital. He says when he arrived there, he looked more carefully at the person in his bed, and it was himself. A tag had already been placed on his toe by the morgue. So this is what it's like to be dead, Dr. Ritchie said to himself. About that time, light surrounded him and he found himself in the presence of the Son of God. He said he felt nothing except total unconditional love as he stood there in the presence of Christ and as his entire life passed in scenes before him. A few moments later, the light went away, and Dr. Ritchie found himself lying back in his bed in intense pain. Unconsciousness returned to him, and when he reawakened several days later, he was in another hospital room where a nurse told him that he was certainly lucky to be alive, that he had already been identified for the mortuary and declared dead, but that on his way to the mortuary, somebody had noticed that he was still breathing. And so they had worked diligently and managed to resuscitate him, but oh, they'd come so close to losing him. How well he understood. But the most amazing part of his story is what happened after he got well and took a bus ride home. The bus traveled about a day, and then it came close to the Mississippi River and went right by an all-night diner that he had never been to before, except on the night of his near-death experience. He made the bus stop as he ran out and ran in to make sure that this time he could be seen. He said it was that moment that convinced him that it hadn't all been a dream because he thought it had been just a dream.
Whoever lives and believes in me will never die, said Jesus. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in him will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in him will never die. He is the key to abundant resurrection life here on earth. And he is the key to eternal life in heaven. Indeed, that makes Jesus the most wanted one who has ever lived. He is the one we should want, whether we are dead or alive. Amen.